And if you've been here for the last couple weeks, you know that we're already in a series that walks through the Gospel of John and introduces uh, several of the different images of Jesus, right? Uh, Today, we're going to take a look at Jesus as a good shepherd, and that is distinctly different than the last two. The very first one we looked at was Jesus as the Word of God, and that idea of Jesus being the Word of God is really the very essence of God's power. Uh, God spoke, and the entire world came into existence. When John described Jesus, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then last week, we took a look at Jesus as the light of the world. And this is not just um, this uh, the symbolism of Star Wars, light being good and darkness being evil. But light in the Bible has a very specific explanation. With the light, you know how to walk. And Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, the entire world knows which way is up and down, where the stumbling blocks are, because Jesus is the light. But this morning is different because Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. Now, those other ideas, they're, they're ethereal, they're theological. Ah, the power of God, ah, the ability to see how I walk and know where I'm at in life. But Jesus as a good shepherd is different than either of those. Because this is where Jesus describes the relationship he has with people. He says, I am the good shepherd. I want to read that uh, reading one more time for us as we launch into John chapter 10. And I want to spend a a little bit of time uh, talking about that. John chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him... The gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep, they follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they would not follow, but they will flee from him, for they they do not know the voice of strangers. And now this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And what Jesus is really trying to say is he has a place in the world, he has sheep, and he has a relationship with them. He knows them by name. They know him by voice. Even when all of his sheep are mixed up with somebody else's, he can call them out just just by calling out their names. Now, I, I heard this one time uh, from a, a, um, a, a Christian comedian, but it actually it holds true that in the Bible, one of the reasons we struggle with understanding uh, what Scripture has to say is that for the most part in the Old Testament and a good portion in the New, there are two seasons. There's a season for war and there's a season for growing things. And if you're not a farmer and you don't go to war, you don't understand about three quarters of the Bible. And, and I found that generally to be true all, all the way down, even, even into um, phrases that we use that come from the Bible, right? Uh, uh, you reap what you sow. You don't even know what that means. Right? Do you sow anything, much less reap anything? What it means is, if you want to grow jalapenos, you better not plant corn. <laughs> but you got to be a gardener to actually know that, right? Or a farmer. 
uh, today, uh, we, we, we would rather, we have, we have more association with you get what you pay for, right? That's how we think. We're a consumerist group. You're not going to get what you think you're getting. That's what that phrase means. But in antiquity, in scripture, the many times it talks about reaping what you sow, it has to do with this idea. You put a seed in the ground, you're going to get what you put in the ground, right? Uh, but we're lost on that because we live in a different age and a different time, and now you get what you pay for instead. Isaiah 2.4 is probably a text that really kind of uh, brings a focus to this. In Isaiah 2.4, very famously, it says, He shall judge, this is, this is God describing uh, the, wor- uh, the world and the future, Isaiah describing the future, where there will be no more season for war. Right, And he says, He shall judge between the nations, He shall decide disputes for many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Taking the, the two seasons that all of Israel sees and experiences, the two seasons everyone in antiquity has to go through, a season of uh, plowing, sowing, and reaping, and a season for war. And he says there will eventually be a time when there's no need to go to war, and that iron gets turned for the other purposes, right? So this this idea that there are just... There, there are two major seasons. So we get down to this idea where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I got to tell you, as Americans in the 21st century, we have got to be at least 20 degrees removed from anything Jesus has to say about what it is to be a shepherd because I can barely draw a sheep, like by memory. I, I, I don't spend a lot of time around sheep, mostly because they smell. I've, I've spent so little time around farmyard animals I will confess to you that when I get face-to-face with a horse, I'm struck by how enormous a horse is. And, and, and I'm terrified of a horse and a cow and anything else that large, right? Because I'm a city kid. Um, but, but when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's drawing on imagery that everybody knows. Everyone understands what it is to be a good shepherd. It's for you and I to figure what that figure out what that means, but, but they know already. Um, this idea of the shepherd having an established relationship with the sheep. He says, I call them by name. They respond when they hear my voice. This is, this is something that's not foreign to the people who read this. In fact, even today, 2,000 years How many degrees removed from it? If you go to a funeral and you want to receive comfort, you know which passage is going to be opened and read? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Right? Even in the middle of a funeral, when somebody's being put to bed and we feel this deep anguish, the passage that we go back to that gives us the greatest comfort is ancient. And it talks about the relationship of a sheep being dependent on the shepherd, being dependent on the care for the shepherd, the shepherd knowing the needs of the sheep, directing the sheep, leading beside quiet waters, making him lie down and rest when it's time to rest. A shepherd that knows his sheep. Isn't that weird? 
And we, we hear that and we know that it brings comfort to us, but we never stopped and thought about the fact that um, this relationship between a shepherd and a sheep is one of complete care and complete dependence and trust. And so to read through Psalm 23, we confess that we trust God and that He cares, takes care of us. This idea is found in, in another text um, in, in the Old Testament. When you talk about the, the expectations of what it is to be a shepherd, Ezekiel 34 really does actually a really good job. And in this case, context is important. God is angry at, uh, at the leadership of Israel. And, and biblically, in the Old Testament and New Testament, it very regularly talks about uh, spiritual leadership in this context of being a shepherd or a shepherd. The ancient leaders of Israel were considered Israel shepherds. When we appoint uh, elders in the church, another description for them is shepherd, right, uh, or pastor. That really just means somebody that shepherds the sheep, okay? And so, but, but in Ezekiel, he, here's what he says. He says, son of man, uh, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy uh, and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who... Who have been feeding yourselves? What's the job of a shepherd? To feed the... Oh, yeah, but they've been feeding themselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Now, just one second. Pause. You know who gets to eat the sheep? The owner. The shepherd and the owner are not the same. The shepherd's task is to care for the sheep, to protect the sheep, to hold the sheep, to heal the sheep. It's not his job to eat the sheep. Okay? He says, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak, weak sheep, you have not strengthened. The sick, you have not healed. The injured, you have not bound up. The strayed, you have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force and harshness, with force and harshness, you have ruled them. In other words, every aspect of the job of what it is to be a shepherd, you've not done. In fact, in Ezekiel uh, 34, I kind of wish I had another text attached to this, because God goes on, and in verse 11, he says, "Thus, For thus says the Lord God, um, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock, when, uh, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, he says. And on the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing. This is Ezekiel 34, verse uh, 14. I hear pages flipping. I, my, verse 15. I myself 
will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. And I will feed them in justice. In other words, God says here in Ezekiel chapter 34, this expectation, just, just the basic expectation of what, uh, of what a shepherd does has been completely dismissed by the shepherds of Israel. They've not bothered to care for the weak. They've not gone to seek those who have been straying. They haven't done anything that a shepherd is going to do. And so he says, fine, I'm going to be their shepherd. These are the responsibilities of a shepherd and they're not doing it. Therefore, I will do these things. And so in this context, the expectations of what a shepherd does, right? That they care for the sheep, that they're with the sheep, that they know the sheep, that they have relationships with the sheep. In this context, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The sheep know my voice and I know their name. Let me tell you why that's important to me and why this should be important to you. Statistically speaking, America is the loneliest country in the world. Did you know that? We are the loneliest country in the world. And every time they do another study to figure out whether people feel like they have a place to belong or how they feel lonely, what they find is the more that a country marches towards uh, urbanization, the more people live inside cities, the more isolated and alone they feel weird. And that's the march of America. They find that the more people depend on social networking and technology to stay connected instead of face-to-face, the lonelier they feel. And by virtually every metric that has been found to measure loneliness, America is actually the loneliest, most disconnected country in the world. And now we think we're connected because we're one text message away. We're one Facebook message away. Kids can snap all their friends and see it instantly, and yet they don't feel connected at all. 2018, you are lonelier than you were in 2017. The march continues. Now, I can't speak for you. I'll just speak for myself. the election cycle in 2016 broke something inside of me. It broke something inside of me because there was a group that I thought I belonged to. A group, a party that I thought was my group. And and then I found two years ago that my value system was different. Different enough 
that I felt like the entire, the entire election was a sham because my party stood for a candidate that I couldn't get behind. I know for a fact that that election cycle broke something in our country regardless of what party you belong to. And so for the first time in a really long time, I looked at myself as a moderate Republican believing maybe I don't have a people anymore in a political sphere because everything I hear from people in my party is not not something I really want to repeat or anything that I value. Less than a little bit over a year later from that, four months ago, I was notified by the congregation that I've been working with for five years that my time had reached an end. They were letting me go as a minister, and they were going to look for somebody else. My story is my own. Yours will be your own. But I'm telling you, it is an epidemic problem right now in our country that people feel like they have no place to belong. Sometimes it's a political system. Maybe it's your club. Maybe the church has let you down. It doesn't really matter what it is, but there's a certain point in time when you're going to feel this year or next year or last year like you're a broken person living on your own with no sense of community, no purpose, and no place. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by name. And let me tell you how powerful it is to know that Jesus can call you by name and you belong. And I can't think of a message that is more relevant in Scripture than for Jesus to say, I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by name. And if you're one of those sheep, I am telling you, you belong to him. I don't know what your story is, and I don't know if you feel like an outsider to all of that, but you're not an outsider to Jesus. Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, and he makes three claims in this text about what it is to be a good shepherd. I want to I take a look at those. I'm still in Ezekiel. I'm going to get over to John. And John chapter 10, starting with verse 11. He says, I am... The good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, who sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Right? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. Um, I think the reason we really don't understand this is because we live in, I mean, even when people raise sheep today, they raise them differently than they did 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Fences were more expensive, so they pretty much didn't exist. When a shepherd went out with his sheep, he actually had to stay with the sheep. He stayed with them because he needed to protect them, he needed to lead them, he needed to tend them, he needed to care for them. A famous book written several years ago said, uh, the title is They Smell Like Sheep, and it was describing shepherds because shepherds spent all their time with sheep. Now today, ranchers have barbed wire and they can keep sheep in a pen and they can keep them relatively enclosed and they can provide protection but in ancient Israel they couldn't do that and so a shepherd walked with his sheep and sheep are little meat lollipops (laughs) for a predator uh, they're just waiting to be eaten. Uh, we've, we've bred all of the cunning out of a sheep. They don't know what to do. They can't even survive if the water is churning. They'll just drown from the weight of their own wool. They can't run very quickly, and so a shepherd has to follow his sheep because he has to actually provide for them and protect them. And so you find in the Bible, over and over, um, the role of a shepherd is to protect his sheep from wolves, from lions, from bears, right? Even even David, when he sees that uh, God's people were being challenged by Goliath, David looks at it in 1 Samuel 17. He says, hey, I, I killed a bear and I killed a lion. I can take out this uncircumcised Philistine, right? But David, even David's experience is probably an exception to the rule, not, not actually the rule. I mean, a shepherd being around his sheep is usually protection enough. And research being what it is. They actually had breeds of dogs that were vicious enough to actually fight off a lion back then that we don't have anymore because apparently we don't, we don't breed dogs to fight off lions. But they had breeds of lions, uh, dogs back then that fought off lions. Um, but I don't, I don't think generally that a good, even a good shepherd tended to race in when a lion had a lamb in between its jaws. There's a, here, here's a text. Uh, this, this one is Amos chapter 3, verse 12, where, where God is talking about the northern nation of Israel as they go off into Babylonian, uh, not Babylonian, Assyrian captivity. And, and he says, Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or, or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued. Uh, that's, that's, First of all, that's a terrible rescue. <laughs> really bad. What, what did you get after that? Uh, the parts that the lion didn't eat. Right? Uh, that, that, that lamb did not come back whole. And th- that was the point of Amos, by the way. Uh, the northern nation of Israel was in, in Assyrian captivity, and they were not going to come back the same. Uh, but I think... I think that if we're looking at the role of shepherds and what they do, yeah, they were supposed to protect their sheep, but let's be honest. Even a shepherd doing the best that he can to protect his sheep will only go so far. The sheep becomes a salvage operation. But not with Jesus. 
who is the good shepherd. Okay? So this is what Jesus is saying is his job as a good shepherd isn't just to protect his sheep, isn't just to provide for his sheep, but when it comes right down to it, and if you haven't read the entire book and you don't know how it ends in the Gospel of John, you know that the good shepherd does lay down his life for his sheep. And I cannot imagine in any rational way of thinking about what is more important and what is valuable that I would ever instruct a shepherd tending my sheep to give up his life for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life willingly for the sheep. Okay? So he, he makes this claim that the good shepherd will lay down his own life for the sheep. The good shepherd, uh, verse 14, he also says... Uh, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And this goes back to that idea that the shepherds really never had a chance to get away from their sheep. They built a relationship with them. They knew them by name. They knew them by voice. You know, ancient shepherds never had to drive their sheep. They just walked. And the sheep followed. That doesn't happen anymore Today, here, it happens in, in the Middle East still where sheep are still cared for in much the same way they were 2,000 years ago. You can see shepherds leading their sheep all over the countryside to better pasture. And the presence of the shepherd is usually enough to protect them. The good shepherd knows his sheep. And the sheep know him. Here's the, here's the third claim. This one is, this is, this one is going to be um, beyond the pale. I'm sorry. Um, he says, verse 16, Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. I'm going to tell you, I said this last week when I wrapped up but I'm going to say it again. I think Jesus gets a bad rap. I, th I think that the church gets a bad rap, and sometimes the church gives Jesus a bad rap. Because we are not interested in tending Jesus' flock and pursuing the straying the way Jesus is. He says, I have sheep that are not a part of this fold. Right? In fact, Luke chapter 15. Let me give you some context here. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. This phrase, tax collectors and sinners, I, I read uh, in a couple commentaries, and I believe this to be true, that this is an ancient Hebrew phrase that is shorthand, for people who sin professionally. This is not just people who sin by accident, 
But a tax collector takes taxes. He gives them to Caesar. That's literally his job. Uh, Tax collectors and sinners would include everybody who makes a living by doing something that the law forbids. So maybe uh, people who tend pigs. Pigs are not kosher. Therefore, they make a living by sinning. Maybe this includes prostitutes. We know Jesus had an encounter with some prostitutes too, right? So Jesus, here's the claim. The claim is, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Now, I personally think they're making a claim that they can't even make, right? Uh, Because... In, in um, ancient Israel, and still today in the Middle East, there is an unspoken code. You can find this in Scripture if you go and look it up. It's really kind of cool. There's an unspoken code that when you invite somebody into your house and you break bread with them, you enter into a covenant of protection for them. This exists... In, in present-day Islamic countries, this exists in ancient Israel. This is what many of us believe is a basis for why God told Israel to take in aliens and strangers when they were traveling. And the Pharisees are so angry with Jesus because they see him not only spending time with tax collectors and sinners, but inviting them in. And eating with them. And you know, the funny thing, it's, it's a really, it's a really funny thing to accuse a man who is homeless, Jesus was homeless, as inviting somebody into his house as though he had a relationship with them. But that's the claim right there is this man receives sinners and he eats with them. As though Jesus cared for sinners. Now Jesus responds, by telling them that he has a relationship with these sinners just like he does his sheep that he cares for. Okay? This is what Jesus says. So so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. And he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And just so I will tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, here's the lie, and you can find it everywhere. The lie is that God only cares about you if you fly straight. God only cares about you if you don't have a past. God only cares about you if you're not neck deep in sin. And here's what I'm telling you. Jesus is the good shepherd. You can belong to his flock. And he will take you. He will give you a place to belong. He will bind your wounds He will receive you. And that's not to say that after encountering Jesus, you won't be changed because we're all changed. But you have a place with Christ.
And, and here's why I'm telling you this, this morning. It's because if you believe only the things that are shared by people who don't confess Jesus, you're going to believe that Jesus and everyone who follows him has a very narrow bandwidth for what kind of people belong in church. And if you haven't typically gone to church and this isn't your thing and you're here for the first time, first of all, thank you for having the courage to step outside of what you typically do on Sunday morning to hear a word from God. And here's the word. Jesus is a good shepherd and he cares about you. And I don't know how you limp. I don't know what your wounds are, but he can heal them. You have a place at the table. You belong. And maybe in this world where you don't feel like you belong to anything else, you can belong to Christ. Now then, the question is, what will you do with that message? It doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to be hard. But what will you do with that? Will will you believe a preacher who gets up and says that Jesus loves you fiercely more than your mother or father, more than your neighbors, more than anything you've ever experienced, that he calls you by name and you can respond to his voice? Will you believe me when I say that? Because if you do, respond to it. Don't walk away. And really simply, here's how you can respond. We're going we're gonna to sing a song here in a second, and there will be an opportunity for you to respond. And, and if church is not your thing, you don't even know where to start, I, I want to invite you to respond. Uh, you can come forward. We have uh, leaders at this congregation who will receive you and pray for you. And that's a good first step. If you already know where you're at and you know what you need to do and you've never put on Christ in baptism, but you know and you're burning with conviction right now that your life needs to be something different than what it's been, you can respond too. Jesus is always a place for you to belong. And so I want to invite you to respond. Uh, I don't know where you're at, but let us walk with you. Let us know how we can serve you and pray with you and help you by coming forward as we stand and sing this song.